World peace. We are at the point, at least for myself, in the world where I don't know that world peace is actually a thing. Seems like more and more that world turmoil is the thing that is most commonplace in our lives. And at least for America, the last 20 years or so, our country's been at conflict. Now we've got pandemics and what I would call roller coaster gas prices, social conflict, political conflict. And the list could just go on and on and on about the things that are twisting our world up. It's to the point where I think I understand some things in the Bible that I've never understood before, specifically from the book of Revelation. I understand now, or at least I think I understand, why the armies are coming back on horses. Because gas prices. <laughs> Last week I told you guys that the promises of God to the Israelite nation did not apply to us, did not apply to America. The, the prayer being, if we would humble ourselves and pray, God will heal our land. And while we absolutely should humble ourselves and pray, there's never a promise that America is going to enter a time of prosperity that is void of any kind of turmoil when we do. It does mean that when we humble ourselves and pray, though, God can use us. He'll work within us, but not because of a promise to heal our land. And if there's no promise for our land to be healed, it also means that we should expect the world to act like, people of the world to act like the world. I have a friend that used to say that pagans are going to pag. So what do we do? What's the question? How do we live in light of current events? How are we people who follow Christ, who call him Lord, who call him boss, Christians, supposed to live in light of so much turmoil going on around us? Here's the answer. It's full of hope and peace because of Christ. I want to give you guys a little bit of a context here. I'm going to be reading in just a moment from Colossians 3. We're primarily going to be in verse 15 this morning. But I want to give you the context of what was going on. Paul is talking to this church. He's explaining things to them. And he's talking about virtues that Christ followers are supposed to have in their lives. What it should look like for a Christ follower to live in the manner in which God is calling us to live. He summarized these virtues as Compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Here, let me read it to you. Same chapter that we're going to be reading in in just a moment, but it's verse 12. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. All those things I just told you guys. As Paul closes that section, he says those things are bound together with love. Love is the mark of a Christian. It's what Jesus told his followers they would be recognized by, the way they, that, that we love one another. In this next 
passage where we're headed in verse 15. Paul transitions from the virtues to confirmation of the virtues. How do we know we're living with those virtues? How, how do we know those are the things that are predominant in our lives? So with that, let's get started. The first phrase here, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. As I've looked at this passage, I've realized that there's basically not a single word that's not important. Let is something, you know, most of the time we just kind of blow across. But that word implies that there's something else. If we have to let the peace of Christ be the thing that rules, it implies that if we don't do that, something else could rule. I don't know how many of you in the room are on social media or how many of you pay attention to national news, the 24-hour news cycle, but if you dig into those things, if you allow those things to consume your life, they will, the peace of Christ will not be the thing that rules you. You will literally become attached and aggravated and anxious and twisted up because of, of things that are going on in the world that so invade our lives. Paul's giving instructions here to be deliberate about the peace of Christ in our lives. So again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Peace, that word is, is tranquility. It's, it's, it's calmness. It's confidence. It's harmony. It's knowing that you're where you're supposed to be and there being a balance in your life because of it. And then Paul uses that word rule. The Greek word he actually used was a, a, a word that meant to judge. Now, when I say to judge, it's not to judge as in in a courtroom. It's to judge as in on an athletic field or during a contest of some sort. It's kind of like what we would refer to in 2022 as an umpire or a referee. So Paul is, has started this passage saying that the peace of Christ, the calmness that comes by following Jesus, is the thing that should call the shots in our lives. That's what, what umpires and referees do. While you may have a, a team manager or a team captain that's on the field calling the shots for the team, the referee is the one calling the shots for the contest. They're the one that says this is fair play this is a score, this is a foul. The peace of Christ in our lives needs to be that thing that calls those shots for us. When we're being obedient to God, we can experience peace. But when we step outside of his will, we should expect to not have peace. If I were to keep using that sports analogy, if there was... A, uh, somebody on a football team and they were to miss a block or miss a tackle, miss an assignment on a play, peace would be void in that instance because they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. Instead, shame would likely be the, uh, the, the feeling they were experiencing because the, the, all eyes were on them. They're, they let their team down. In baseball, if you miss a catch or you throw a wild pitch. In soccer, if you just miss... I don't know how soccer works. If you, if you trip over the ball, because that's what I would do. Um, in, in basketball, you double dribble. Whatever the sports analogy is, y'all get the point. You miss, 
your role, what it is you're assigned to be doing, and peace is not, you feel red and flushed and hot and just aggravated. It's not peace. That's where Paul is going with this, with this, this use of an athletic term, that when we are doing what God calls us to do, we can experience peace. And with, when we're not doing what we're supposed to do, we're not going to experience peace. Now the question becomes, can you be living outside the will of God and experience peace? Can an umpire be wrong, essentially? Kind of. The answer really is yes. Most of us have heard of the story of Jonah and the whale. Jonah, we know God told him go to Nineveh and, and prophecy against them and Jonah said no. But not only did Jonah say no, he wasn't, you know, if somebody told me do something and I said no, anybody who's got a two-year-old, there's a difference between no and turning and running. Jonah was on a boat. He left. He's like, nope, I'm gone. I'm not taking any part of this. <clears throat> and what happened as we read that story before the Jonah gets swallowed by the big fish is Jonah ends up on a boat in the belly of the boat and he is passed out, just absolutely asleep in a storm. Everybody else is throwing stuff overboard and freaking out and Jonah's asleep so much they came down in the belly of the boat and woke him up. It is absolutely possible to have a peace and be outside of the will of God. It is not possible to have the peace of Christ and be outside the will of God. Here's the difference. The peace of Christ has been covered in prayer. It has an attitude of surrender towards God. And it can be validated by Scripture. Your actions in whatever the setting, the circumstances, can be validated by Scripture that it is the will of God. Here's another thing that Paul writes in this passage that helps us to understand when we're there, when we're in the will of God. Again, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Since as members of one body, you were called to peace. The other thing that we need to do is look around and see who else has peace about this circumstance. There ought to be harmony amongst us as church members. If we are involved in a small group or a smaller group, you've got some accountability and people know what you're doing and why you're doing it, you should have harmony with them. But if I'm doing something and John Cook comes and slaps me upside the head and says, dude, you don't need to be doing that, that's not harmony. doesn't mean that there won't always be total agreement. Thank you for your accountability, John. <clears throat> he was smiling when I said slap me. We will not always expect total agreement, but we should have a peace with one another. Again, Jonah was in this situation that he had personal peace, but everybody else in that story had zero peace. The, they thought they were going to die. The ship is going to break apart. And we're going to drown. We are throwing things that we need out of the boat, trying to save ourselves because of a consequence of someone else's action.
actions. Here in the church, the church at large and individual churches, when people get out of shape, when they get outside of the will of God, there's going to be turmoil and discord amongst members of the church. And what this looks like practically, one of the ways we can evaluate that this is what's going on or not going on, is by looking at what people who are doing. Have you ever noticed that when either you, uh, as in your, yourselves, have, or, or, or someone close to you, someone in your accountability circle, is doing something that they know is outside the will of God? Have you ever noticed some of the things that they do? They'll continue to seek counsel from the wrong sources? They won't lean into people who are, who are trying to follow the will of God. They'll lean into people the other direction. Or they'll feel a need to escape. Hey, man, you want to go to church? Absolutely not. Not for me right now. I need to get myself together first. Or they get agitated, ill, short-tempered. Maybe feel exhausted or stressed out when you, when you bring up topics to them about things that they're, they're, they're doing or, or saying. Or if... Maybe you yourself are experiencing this. Again, you find yourself at discord with, with Christ followers, with your friends in the church. And the other big thing is that we tend to seek relief in other sins. And we find ourselves in a loop that just keeps going and going. It becomes a snowball of irritability and escaping positive influences, and seeking negative influences, and, and wanting not to be around the people of the church because we're conflicting with the people of the church. And it turns back to sin, and it just keeps going and going and going. Accountability and harmony with those who hold us accountable is absolutely important to maintaining peace. And then this... This last phrase that Paul, Paul uses here, he says, and. I don't know how many, how many English teachers we have, but and's a, a conjunction, meaning we're, we're putting something together. I think it's a plus sign if, if in, a, in a math problem, in a word problem. But and, be thankful. Three words, and, be thankful. This attitude, the attitude, I've heard it said, it's the attitude of gratitude. This, this idea that gratitude is the key thing to getting through life. In everything we do, it's the attitude that ought to guide our steps and let others know where we stand as Christ followers. That last song we sang, we were singing, Hell lost another one, I am free, I am free, I am free. And then we go back into the chorus, and, and it says, You pick me up and turn me around. The youth pastor in me is having a hard time not going like this every time we sing that. Because I am free, and I'm thankful, and I want to be excited and celebrate. That's, that's what Paul is saying here, that when we look at God, when we look at who he is, what he's done for us, that our hearts ought to respond with gratitude towards him. Without gratitude, we can probably start to to assume that our connection to God has been interrupted. That's not what's being considered in whatever a situation is that, that, that we're trying to make up our mind how, how we need to behave to be within the will of God. 
when we again consider who he is, it ought to shape our outlook on the world around us. When we wake up and go to work or school or whatever your thing is, you start at point A. And it happens so often that we get up in the day and we have to get to point B, but there's some obstacle in the way. Thankfulness is the thing that we need to guide us as we move from point A to point B. It could be that something's broken at work, the tractor's got a flat tire, you don't have the right people you're too short-staffed to get things done, whatever it is. But if you approach life in general with an attitude of thankfulness, it's the difference in me going from point A to point B, reflecting Christ, or running over people. Because point A to point B has to be done one way or the other. When you encounter that obstacle and you make your mind up, I'm going from here to there because that's what has to be done. The difference in you running over people and reflecting Christ is simply thanks. And when you allow thanks to be the thing that guides you, when you allow thanks to God to be the thing that guides you, it influences the way you operate everywhere you go. So how does this connect to current events? It's quite simple, really. If you've experienced an authentic relationship with Christ, you ought to be different. You should have hope. Hope because of now. Hope for now. That you can live a life that honors Christ. Your work, your decisions, your relationships, your family... Everything that you do can be guided by that hope, which then turns into thanks. You should have hope for the future. Regardless of what happens on this earth, if you have an authentic relationship with Christ, your eternity is secure. The hope should give us an inner calm. It should give us a way to exist and to exist with others that leads us. No longer is it the things that politicians do that lead us. No longer is it the things that the economy does that leads us. It's not even the things that other world leaders do that lead us. Our thanks because of the hope we have in Christ, turns into peace, and that's what leads us. This doesn't mean that we cannot or should not have concern for things going on in the world. I want to be clear about that. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't be prepared and that we shouldn't be wise. But the wisest thing we can do to be prepared for whatever happens in the world is to submit to the authority of Christ. Here's an analogy for you. Most of you have heard of some of my antics. If we, all of us in this room, were flying on a plane and yours truly was the pilot, all of us on board, how comfortable would you feel? 
I mean, you guys know, if you don't, I'm about to tell you that I am the kind of person that sees a button and pushes it as I ask, what does this do? So I'll put my little hat on, I'll stand at the door and greet you and say, welcome aboard. And you're probably going to say something to this effect. Are you sure you're the right person to be doing this? And I'm going to reply with something like this, and I want to know how, much, how well it makes you feel. Don't worry, God's my co-pilot. How settling is that really? While that sentiment is interesting, I don't even want to fly the plane knowing that the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-capable creator is playing second fiddle to me. I would have absolutely no peace because I'm also not a pilot. But let me be the co-pilot. Let him call the shots. Now transition this whole idea to our lives. As hard as we try, we try just as absolutely hard as we can to get things right, to do things well. Anxiety and stress consume people in our world. Eat them alive. Why not give Christ the keys? Why not let him call the shots and we just try to stay inside the boundaries that he set? And our stress will go way down and our peace, the peace that Paul spoke of, will be absolutely possible. Paul also said it like this. I'll read it to you from Philippians 4. I am not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul's source of strength is Christ. This is from a man who was likely in prison when he wrote the letter that I just read and the letter we focused on today, Philippians and Colossians. He's beaten, abused, and likely facing, knowingly, his own execution. That's the power of allowing Christ to rule. That's the peace that Paul's talking about. Next week, we're going to look at another person who allowed Christ to rule in the worst of situations. When we do that, peace again is possible. Regardless of what's going on in the world around us, when we submit to him, we can have peace. And it can be the thing that rules us instead of the world ruling us. Let's pray. Our Father, we are grateful for the, the words and the lives of men who've gone before us, like Paul, who teach us, who help us understand what it means to follow you and understand the benefits of following you. Father, we do pray for our world. We pray for things going on around us, Father, but we also pray 
that we submit to you, that we recognize what you can do in our lives, and Lord, because of the work you've done already, we have peace. We have peace because we trust you. We have peace because we know you're in charge. We know you're capable. We know you love us. Lord, we ask you to lead us. We ask you to guide us. Help us stay inside your will so that we can experience that peace. It's in the name of your son, Jesus, that we pray with respect and love. Amen. Hey, Grace Community Church, we hope you have a fabulous week. It's a nice day outside, and I think we got you out of here a few minutes early. Go enjoy it.